0: This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road, My name's Aaron Miller. I'm a travel writer, and this episode, we're doing something a little different. We're not going on a hardcore expedition. We're not breaking any world records. We're simply following one woman's journey, an incredible journey, in search of a life less ordinary, a life of exploration, connection to nature, an extraordinary life of adventure, sailing the world, searching for the perfect wave. This is a story for ocean lovers, it's a story for sailors and surfers, but it's also a story for anyone out there dreaming of escape. Are you ready? Let's go. Taking us on this journey is Liz Clark, Captain Liz, whose book of this journey is called Swell, A Sailing Surfer's Voyage of Awakening. It's out now on Patagonia Books. It's gorgeous, like all their books. More like a coffee table book that you can just dip into and savor rather than a normal paperback. And you can get it at patagonia.com, Amazon, and I'll link to it on the episode page of the website, too. You can also connect with Captain Liz directly on Instagram and Facebook at Captain Liz Clark, YouTube, Captain Lizzie, and her website and blog is swellvoyage.com so we're just about to get started. But before we do, I have a quick announcement. I've launched a Patreon page, which you can find on the show notes for this episode at the website armchair-explorer.com or by heading to patreon.com forward slash armchair explorer podcast. It takes about a total of 40 hours to put an episode together. The sponsorship covers my costs, but it doesn't leave me much. Now, I didn't start this show for the money. I started it to spread a message I'm really passionate about. Love for the outdoors, caring for this planet, and living your life to the full. But it's the real world, and the reality is I need to make some money in order to keep going. So if you enjoy this show and you think that message is worthwhile and something you're passionate about too, then please... Buy me a pint for $5 a month, about three quid, less than the cost of a single pint. In fact, you'll get ad-free shows in my eternal gratitude. Buy me two pints at $10 a month, and you'll also get access to our community membership where you'll get exclusive monthly travel vouchers you can't get anywhere else, plus access to our Explorers Discord group, which is basically like a group chat and community, which means we can message each other in real time about all things travel and adventure, offer advice, and lots more. I'm going to be on there as much as I can. It's going to be a lot of fun and a great way to connect with other travel fanatics. If you're enjoying this show and you can afford it, thank you for anything you can do. Just hit up the website, show notes or patreon.com forward slash armchair explorer podcast to find out more. But for now, let's get back to today's episode, the voyage of the swell. That's the name of the boat, by the way, because we're just about to set sail on an incredible journey, a journey that changed her life and might just change yours too. But first. Let's hear how all this got started.
1: My dad's boat had a bowsprit, which is a piece of wood out in the very front of the boat where you can sit out in front of the sails and I would dingle my legs over the front of it and um, hold on to the railing above me and you could not see any part of the boat. It it felt like you were on a magic carpet flying over the water and it was just so fun. I just grew this incredible bond and affinity for being on the ocean and the beauty of traveling by sailboat. You know, nothing was certain about where we were going, what we were gonna see or encounter. And I just loved that spontaneity and that adventure, that excitement. And it just awakened something in me that knew that I really wanted to do more of that in my adult life.
0: She never forgot that moment, that feeling of freedom dangling her legs off the bowsprit of her dad's boat. Nothing before her but the ocean rolling beneath her feet. And as she got older, that drive to seek out spontaneity and adventure just got stronger and stronger. Once that feeling was awakened in her, there was no letting it go and by the time she got out of college it was screaming out and it couldn't be ignored anymore
1: at the time my drive to experience something different from what felt like it was being offered to me as you know a 22 year old coming out of university my drive for something different was just so so big and overwhelming to me that it felt like there was no other option for me there was just this part of me that refused to accept what, you know, we would call a normal life at that point in my life. And so I I think that having that seed planted in me at such a young age, in terms of seeing the possibility of traveling the world by sailboat, and then discovering surfing and just becoming so addicted to the feeling of riding waves and that magic of especially of exploratory surfing where you were, you know, trying to find a spot away from the crowds and have that, you know, mystical connection with the ocean and where you where you found yourself in that moment. It feels like just these momentary, like, presents, like these gifts from the ocean when you actually catch one of these lumps of energy that's traveled across the sea and... Find yourself in that right moment at the right time to, you know, join that energy and um, move with it and express yourself on that wave. And it just feels so surreal and you feel a connection to both nature and to yourself. That really just felt so right to me. And I felt so joyful in those moments that I just wanted to do that more and more and figure out a way to make that like the main part of my life instead of just, you know, a side dish.
0: And oh boy, did she do that. And that is really what this story is about. Because we all have that feeling in one way or another, at one time or another, don't we? That sense that our life could be built around our passions instead of the other way around. Instead of just being crammed into the shrinking gaps between work and career and living the life we're supposed to. For Liz, her passion was the ocean. It was riding waves. She called surfing her solace. It was where she felt whole, where she connected with something deep inside of her, something intangible. And at the time, barely understood. But she trusted that feeling and she decided to go after it, to do something crazy, to let her passions become the compass for her life itself. She had just left college, but instead of starting a career and perhaps a family as her peers were doing, she bought a boat. The plan was to sail the world in search of the perfect wave. She spent three hard years getting the swell ready for the open ocean. And then suddenly, there was nothing else to do. It was time to finally set sail.
1: That moment was very scary, very chaotic, very overwhelming. There was so many pieces to the puzzle that I had to put together and the process of the boat overhaul was just absolutely bigger than I could have ever imagined. I'm not sure, (laughs) looking back at the time, if I would have known what I was getting into. Three years of boat projects. and massive overhaul and I don't know if I would have taken it on at that point but we just kept chipping it away at it in small bites and when I finally did leave the dock in San Diego it just felt this huge weight on my shoulders in terms of living up to my own expectations living up to all the expectations of the people who had helped me to that point and given me this opportunity to live my dream and so there was just a lot of pressure at that point right when I was leaving. I didn't know how I was going to make money. I didn't know if I could captain a boat of that size. A 40-foot cal is really meant to be crewed by six people. So my rigor, my wonderful rigor had helped make it more possible for someone of my strength and size, but we really hadn't had a chance to sail the boat in any kind of whether that was significant before I left. So there was just so many question marks in my mind whether I would be able to pull it off. It was one breath at a time, just remembering my bigger dream and keeping my eye on that, on that target. But in the moment it was just conquer one (laughs) challenge and then face the next. You know, try not to get too overwhelmed where you're just paralyzed by all of it. So that first leg down California was really exciting for so many reasons because it was obviously the first big leg of testing my strengths, testing whether I was capable or not. But it was also this very desolate and beautiful stretch of coastline that I fell in love with as a child. And to be back there on my own boat, on this surfing mission, you know, watching the coastline change as we moved further and further south, um, meeting people along the way. We scored some incredible surf at some of the point breaks on the way down. And it was a really special time because it was, you know, not only me proving to myself that I could make this happen, but enjoying all the benefits that were the reason I'd worked so hard to get the boat off the dock and out into the ocean, out into the world. So. When we finally made it to Cabo San Lucas, it was like, I can do this. It was a big weight off my shoulders.
0: She didn't have a fixed route, although she had a loose idea of sailing the world. It wasn't set in stone. She just wanted to take off and literally go where the wind took her, where her instincts took her, which kind of makes the whole thing even bolder in a way. There was no real end in sight. She was just following a feeling. She headed south from San Diego to Baja, California. That was the first leg. And she describes it as a polarity of emotions. On the one hand, there was this huge sense of freedom. Because she didn't have a fixed plan, she could go anywhere, do anything, follow the surf, wherever it may take her. And that felt amazing. It was a freedom that most of us never feel, or only in glimpses. And it was intoxicating. But at the same time, there was a huge sense of responsibility. A couple of friends had joined her on this first leg, but they had no experience on boats. So she was sailing in the open ocean pretty much alone for the first time. It was serious. And she did have everyone's safety in the palm of her hands. But she made it and then gradually sailed further south from there to Costa Rica. And that's when things started to get really good.
1: There were so many awesome waves there, but I think one of the most special times was being up at Ollie's Point in that bay there. It's like a national park, and surfers can boat in on a ponga from the nearby town to the south, but there's nobody there in the early morning, in the late afternoon when everyone's gone home. There's no um, like resort there, or there's no homes. It's It was just this beautiful, wild bay with these amazing waves, and I had some awesome friends on the boat at the time. I think that was always one of my main motivations is, and I think it's just the way that being in pure wilderness makes me feel. I just, for some people, it's maybe a really scary or intimidating feeling, but for me it's a real deep feeling of comfort and freedom and peace. That wildness is something that's always kind of made me feel like I could express my wildness. That wild side of me was okay, which sometimes in my family or in society, you know, it didn't always feel like that was okay to express that part of me. And so I really sought those places out, especially those places where you really get that sense of what the earth would be like without humans on it.
0: This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. It took her five months to get to Costa Rica, inching along the coast at an average speed of five and a half knots. That's about a slow jog for two and a half thousand miles. And she found that wildness and solitude with nature everywhere. And that's one of the amazing things about traveling by sailboat. For long stretches, there was simply wilderness inaccessible by road with no towns or villages for miles, no people, just her, her friends, the waves, legs dangling off the bowsprit again. She learned a lot in those early days too. She writes, Our perspectives have molded as gradually as the landscapes have changed. As Southern California's busy blacktop transformed into the desert dunes of Baja, we withdrew from attachments to our cell phones and schedules. Below mainland Mexico's arid mountains and palm-lined coasts, we were reassured of the goodness of everyday people. Against Nicaragua's striking volcanic skylines, we witnessed the ache of poverty. The transformations, both personal and in the coastal geography, came at a natural pace, a new smell in the air, a different bird in the sky. Seeing other ways of life makes the world feel more spacious. And traveling at this pace has given us time to take it all in and figure things out. But it wasn't all rosy.
1: I was right on the border of Panama and Costa Rica, heading south for Panama, with a friend, and the weather was very still, and there was not much wind. We did have some sail up more for the stability of the boat than for actually catching any wind, but it was my friend Jack's turn to take a watch. And so I was down there trying to get a little bit of rest and in the cabin, and all of a sudden, I just hear rain just starts thundering down. just felt like someone was pouring a giant cup of water on the boat. It was just like so thick. I looked at the radar and it was just a complete blackout. You couldn't even see. For eight miles around us, it was just like pouring, pouring rain, which isn't a good sign with these lightning storms. Whenever it's really still like that, they seem to develop out of nowhere. And so all of a sudden, the rain gets lighter and the lightning just starts dropping out of the sky all around us. And we were getting strikes really closer and closer to the boat and I was just like so scared. And I usually, when you see a squall coming that has lightning in it, you can try to avoid it a little bit, but this was just everywhere. It was all around us and it was really, really scary. And we had a lightning bolt hit so close. It hit the water, thank goodness. Like it exploded the, the ocean. And you could see this rainbow of light, like rainbow of lightning (laughs) reflected off the ocean in that big splash of water. And right then the electricity must have come and like circulated through my grounding plate for my radio maybe. And it did uh, blow out the GPS and the radar. But, yeah, at that point, was never so happy to make it to port as we did that next morning. And I was really questioning whether I'd made the right decision and that desk job and that white picket fence sounded pretty good at that point. But it's funny how, you know, like, you go through something like that and then the sun comes out the next day and you remember the magic of why you're doing it and, you know, you keep going. And
0: she did keep going, but it was terrifying. The thunder hits our chest with visceral force, she writes. My body tenses with each flash of light. Jaws clenched, I dig my nails deeper into my calves with each incomprehensibly powerful rumble. The third strike hits the water just a boat length away, exploding the surface into a tower of white water dressed in the full spectrum of the rainbow. Never have I felt so humbled by nature's power, so raw, unbridled and unpredictable. I love that image. Lightning and rainbows simultaneously. Beauty and power, all that nature is, in a single flash of light. And there were more dangers ahead too, because it was at this point that Liz decided that she was going to cross the Pacific, which is no joke. But first she had to prepare. And she wasn't quite done with Central America's waves just yet.
1: I actually went from Costa Rica down to Panama, did the whole coast of Panama and the islands on the west coast of Panama. And then I went west to Cocos Island, which is a really famous place for divers. We were so enchanted by the underwater life that we were just having so much fun diving. There were so many sharks and so many manta rays and big pelagic fish like tuna and ono and just things that I had never seen underwater before. Most of the diving I was doing was all free diving. Not only are you weightless, you don't have the weight of all that equipment on you. I love that feeling of just lightness and freedom under the water. I love that you feel so a part of the food chain. You're really just Right there, and with all of those creatures, and um, it's a very thrilling feeling. You feel vulnerable, you know, you only have the time for what you can do with one breath, and that is always a challenge. It's really about quieting your mind and having confidence in your body, and in a similar way to surfing, it has that physical challenge element to it that is really fun.
0: The Cocos Islands are an underwater paradise. Located about 300 miles off the coast of Costa Rica, they can only be accessed via liveaboard dive boats, so numbers are kept low, conservation efforts are high, and they're recognized as one of the most biologically diverse and pristine tropical waters on the planet. Lush mountains covered in rainforest pouring with waterfalls into crystal clear blue seas below. They're also one of the best places in the world to see huge schools of tuna, manta ray, dolphins, and sharks. Proper sharks. Hammerheads, which are about 20 feet long and weigh about 1,000 pounds. So when you're way out far from the boat, free diving with nothing but a snorkel for company, and you find yourself surrounded by dozens of hammerhead sharks, it can be unnerving to say the least. Whatever you do, don't start humming the Jaws theme tune. But although Liz was initially scared, eventually she realized that they're just doing their thing and they weren't interested in her at all. So she began to seek them out, swimming with them underwater, totally fearless. It was one of the most incredible wildlife experiences of her entire trip. She talks about dissolving into liquid worlds, and it was transformative in her deepening connection with the ocean. But what was about to come next was perhaps even better because 500 miles south of the Cocos Islands is the Galapagos.
1: I still don't quite understand why the animals there still now have uh, so little fear of humans but it's incredible because you know now there are people who live there there's a lot of tourism and so it is so amazing and I think the thing that stands out most in my mind is that the sea lions are so not afraid of you that they would climb into our dinghy at night and we'd wake up to like five sea lions crammed in the dinghy just thinking this was the greatest spot you know like thanks so much for this beautiful room with a view they were just so funny and they'd wake you up you'd be up because they were barking and snorting at each other and, and i'd have to clean seal poop in the morning of the dinghy It was just so incredible. You know, growing up in Southern California, we have sea lions and seals around all the time and, you know, nothing like that had ever happened. So they just really run the show over there
0: nowhere else on earth does a place so tiny pack such a big punch the creatures that make their home here on the galapagos have been completely cut off from the rest of the world for millions of years aside from a couple of shipwrecks here and there in all those eons of history there has been no human contact whatsoever and as a result it is the only place on the planet where we are not seen as a threat where we are not the alpha predator And to see it, to see these islands, is to see what a world without man would look like. It is to see the planet untainted by human touch. She stayed for three weeks, had a blast, and then pulled up anchor and set sail. The Pacific was calling.
1: It was really incredible for so many reasons. I mean, not only just the feeling of me being so far from anything or anyone that could help you, you know, you really felt out there, you felt the size of the earth. Waking up day after day after day with just empty blue horizons in every direction. It was really just kind of like exploded my mind in terms of feeling my relativity to this enormous, beautiful earth that we're a part of, I think that was really special for me. What was also really special was doing that crossing with my mom. Just before I left, I had told my parents that I wanted to do the crossing alone. Sailing is is just not really her thing, but I think her motherly lioness protectiveness came out and she wanted to be there for me. And it was really significant for our relationship because spending that time together out on the ocean with no other distractions, for 22 days I got this incredible moment to really get to know my mother as a human versus as a mom and for her she also got to see me in this thing that I was so passionate about and she kind of understood by the end of that time why I was out there and that this was really something that was good for me and so You know, among all those really crazy challenges that we did face, we had a halyard break and my head sail fall into the water at one point, you know, the idea was that she was going to kind of just be able to be really hands off. And I wanted to be able to prove to myself that I could go out there and do everything on my own, but she was going to be there for me as company. And for the most part... I was able to do that, but there were some really important moments that she was able to, you know, grab the wheel or hold a line or whatever it was that were really significant and important to my success, you know, crossing the Pacific. So it was really special, special time.
0: She's playing it down. They nearly capsized. First they hit a storm and for five days they were rocked like a washing machine, as mom called it. Huge waves, white water crashing over the deck as Liz tried to steady their course, careening down blue water faces, 20, 30 feet tall, spinning into tailsides, throwing them around the ship like ragdolls. And then it got worse. On their 19th day, the storm now passed. The winds kicked up suddenly, out of nowhere. Liz had her mainsail up at the time. They'd been making great progress, but it was the middle of the night, and with the sail fully extended, the gusts were suddenly overpowering the boat. It started to tip. The entire starboard side became submerged in black night water. Mom was screaming. Seawater was rising up Lizzie's shins as she fought the wind and tried to ride right the boat. More than once, she thought it was over, that they would capsize in the middle of the Pacific with no chance of rescue. Then, just as suddenly as it started, the wind died down, the boat righted itself, mom stopped screaming, and all was calm. Three days later, on the 22nd day of their crossing, they spotted land they had reached somewhere absolutely amazing, the Marquesas Islands.
1: It's an incredible, incredible place. The culture is still very much intact and the people are so warm and welcoming and it's really that Polynesian spirit that you imagine or that you see in the movies, that generosity and that warmth. And I think that for me, it was like this beginning of my fascination and love of the Polynesian culture. I think there's one relationship that I really cherish there was this uh, older woman who lived in a valley that was inaccessible by road. And I was kind of stuck there for a time, waiting out some weather and doing a few repairs to my boat. And she and her husband lived in a beautiful little house in in this valley where it was just spectacular nature spectacular and we had waterfalls and so much fruit and so this grandmotherly woman took me in and we would do like a language exchange in the afternoons and it was for about two weeks I think and she would always send me home with a big bag of fruits and you just couldn't You couldn't pay for something like that. Just to be able to sit in somebody's home and, you know, learn their language is such a beautiful language. And for me, that was just one of those moments that I, you know, could not have even imagined or predicted or asked for. It was just it was such a beautiful exchange.
0: The painter Gogan spent the last years of his life living on the Marquesas Islands and produced some of his most famous work here. You've probably seen it. It was inspired by the lives and the people and community that surrounded him. Gogan's motto in life was, be in love, you will be happy. But it might as well be the motto of the entire archipelago. This is... Paradise, Located 932 miles northeast of Tahiti, this chain of 12 tiny isles are one of the most remote inhabited places on earth. A speck of tropical green in the midst of endless blue ocean. Steep cliffs, rainforests and waterfalls surrounding each deserted turquoise bay. But the real treasure is the people. The old lady she mentioned she met while foraging for fresh fruit one day. She had anchored in what she thought was a deserted bay, paddled her longboard to shore, and was collecting fresh guava from the rainforest. She took a bite and suddenly spat it out. There was a half-eaten worm inside. And then she heard giggling. It was Grandmother Felicity, who lived nearby. She brought her home, fed her fruit without worms, and their friendship began. Those encounters are what traveling is all about about, and she made many such friends on her adventures. But leaving the Marquesas and sailing deeper now into French Polynesia, she found something different, something perhaps just as important. Long stretches of open water, which she crossed alone. No mom, no companions. This time, just her and the open sea.
1: I think being alone is something that I feared a lot before I left on this voyage. I'm not sure why, maybe just because of how I thought that it would make me feel or you know, the way that society perceives people that spend too much time alone or I don't know, but I think you know, when you're around other people, you're always constantly thinking about what they're thinking about you. So when I finally got out there and had all of this alone time, you know, I all of a sudden didn't have to think about what anyone else wanted or how anyone else was feeling all of a sudden it was just me to think about my needs my wants who I was you know my place out there in this crazy expansive universe and all of those questions that you know are our core human questions that we easily avoid in our modern everyday life with so much distraction and people around us all the time
0: Without anyone to remind me of my humanness, she writes, I float in the clouds, dissolve into the wind ripples and dance with the glittering moonbeams illuminating the dark sea crests. I'm free to fall through the sky with the shooting stars and raindrops. I let go of my limits I've placed on myself for the sake of how other people might judge me. And I try and recognize my own self-judgment too. I feel ready to be me, whatever the consequences. Which is lucky, because what is coming next is what you've been looking for all along. It was a perfect wave. It was that sublime moment when ocean, mind and body become one. But it was more than that too.
1: I had a couple of friends from back home, Ryan and Taylor. Um, They were visiting me on this really remote atoll in the middle of nowhere and um, the waves were incredibly good that day and I was so frustrated with myself because I just couldn't seem to to get it and the waves were so perfect and you know I spent all this time dreaming about um, these kind of waves and this kind of like setup where I was on this boat in the middle of nowhere and no surfers around and I wasn't able to do it and I was very frustrated so they were like watching me through this frustration and you know proud of me for charging at the same time but you know like also kind of feeling bad for me that i was just so frustrated and by the end i think that was the moment where i finally did you know lock into a backside tube and come out and they both were sitting in the dinghy it was like the end of our session and i somehow managed to pull this off after crashing so many times and i was officially initiated into the world of tube riding that day. After Ryan and Taylor left, that was a really, really special time as well. Polynesia just offered so much of that incredible beauty. And so my, my memories of sailing there and especially of that time are just of all of this wonder, you know, like things that I'd never seen, you know, waking up to rainbows, having like a whale scratching its back on the bottom of the hole, hull, you know, seeing these incredible fish that I'd never seen before. Just all of these mind-blowing nature experiences that just cemented my conviction to want to do more for the planet. And that really did kind of help me pick a course for the next bit of the voyage.
0: But the next bit of the voyage was a different kind of journey. At this stage, she'd been on the road, or sail, I should say, for years. she travelled more than 13,000 nautical miles. She'd gone in search of the perfect wave, and she'd found it. She'd found many. She'd ridden that tube and others. She found something more important than that too. She didn't make it all around the world. But the point wasn't to sail forever. The point wasn't to reach a particular goal. It was to follow her passion, her instincts, to find her place in the world. And the experiences she'd had since sailing away from the harbor, fresh out of college, a nervous newbie sailor those many years ago to now a grizzled ocean veteran who had found the life she'd been looking for, that extraordinary life filled with incredible moments, incredible waves, new friends, raw wilderness, rainbows, etched and lightning, showed her exactly where she needed to be.
1: After writing the book, I met my partner who I'm still with now and we decided to you know, move on land and swell is still very much a part of my life and I still plan to do some more sailing but after 10 years plus, it was, it was time for, for a little change. I needed a little bit more comfort. So like I was just ready to have running water and a shower and some of those little things that we take for granted in land life. And also I think I was really ready to expand my activism work. I went out there, I lived my dream. I did this sailing experience that I was really, really craving and I learned so much. I know who I am and I am so grateful for this experience, but now I have to be part of this global community that's trying to fix the wrongs that we as humans have done to the planet. And so it felt like the right decision for the time to move on land and be able to put a little bit more energy into my activism work. And that's been a whole new fun challenge for me. I think if I had to choose the single most significant lesson that I learned was that nothing matters more than following those passions and following those dreams. I think they are really the doors that take you to your greater purpose, that our passions are something that are there as like a treasure map and we gotta follow them and, and discover why they're part of us. And sometimes I think we feel selfish. There's times in life where it doesn't, you know, maybe feel like that's what you should be doing. But I, I think what I discovered is that in the end, becoming who I really wanted to be was actually the most important thing I could have done for my family.
0: Following your passions, taking that leap, Daring to live that extraordinary life isn't selfish. It isn't something you do just for yourself. That's Liz's point. It's how we serve the world. Our dreams are like a treasure map, she says, that we follow to find our purpose. It's an amazing idea. I love it because it means that what we care about, what gives us joy, what lights us up, isn't frivolous. It isn't just fun. It's the compass that shows us our path. And being on our path is what makes life meaningful and what serves your friends, your family, and the world best. So go and dangle your legs from the bowsprit. Your ocean is out there, it's waiting. You just need to have the courage to do something crazy, the courage to leave the shore and search for your perfect wave. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for taking us on your journey inside and out and inspiring us to take our own. Her book is called Swell, A Sailing Surfer's Voyage of Awakening. It's out now on Patagonia Books. It's gorgeous. It's got amazing imagery and lots more detail and insight than we could cover here. You can get it at patagonia.com amazon and i'll link to it on the episode page of the website too you can also connect with captain liz directly on instagram and facebook at captain liz clark youtube captain lizzie and her website and blog is swellvoyage.com. remember if you enjoyed this episode please consider buying me a pint aka becoming a patron of this show For five bucks a month, about three pounds, you get every episode ad free. And for 10 bucks a month, you'll get all of that, plus access to our exclusive membership group, monthly travel discounts and lots more. Please go to patreon.com forward slash armchair explorer podcast to find out more or just hit the link in the show notes right now. The sound editing today was done by Mike Cumber, a.k.a. The Sweet Chap. Follow his Facebook, at Sweet Chap, to listen to his original music, which I love. His song, Rummage, opens every single show, as well as covers of your favorite songs. He has an incredible voice, and it's just something lovely that pops up in your feed every now and again. You're going to love it, so please do go and check that out. Lizzie Goldsmith also worked on this production, so thank you to her. She's an awesome writer and podcast producer in her own right, and you can check out more of her work at lizziegoldsmith.com. Last but not least, thank you to you guys. Keep dangling your legs off the bowsprit. Keep looking for that wonder, because the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.